Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on Two Girls, One Ghost and Ted Lasso. Warning, spoilers ahead. Oh, man. How's it going? Oh, it's been good. It is a really hot week here. It's been very humid. Um, So it's been prime time for watching content. And (laughs) so I've been I've been doing a lot of that. I what I was going to tell you right before recording, I was like, no, 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 I'll save it. Uh, was that I watched the last episode of Fringe today and sobbed at like four <sighs> different points in a 40 minute episode. Oh no. And so I'm done with Fringe now and now I can start consuming other media again. Fun. <laughs> and I have like updates on other things that we've talked about on the pod. So I'm super excited mm-hmm. to talk about that. Me but too. how have you been this week before we get into that too much? I've been, you know, I've been better. It's been a tough week mentally. Yeah. (laughs) Just very stressful. A lot of stressful things culminating at work and Mm. in life, um, like apartment hunting. And I don't know, just really feeling like I've firmly determined that I don't wish to continue with the current job that I have now. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, about to embark on... God, like job hunting in the real world, yeah. which is <laughs> not appealing, but is necessary. But it it feels the other day I had this realization. I think I was at work and I was like, wow, this feels exactly like the end stages of being in a horrible relationship mm. where I feel like the same distaste and resentment <laughs> toward yeah. this position that I do for all of my ex-partners. <laughs> Can you just drive uh, your boss to the airport and make him leave the state? You know, it's not him, though. No, like, I know, I, so I know. Bad. My boss is great. He's totally fine. But yeah. if I had a, a representation of this job and this yes um, industry in the form of a, a person I could drive to the airport and tell them to get the fuck out of my state, I definitely would. Uh, I love that story about you so much. I know. I know that's your favorite breakup story of uh, mine. <laughs> it's my favorite. I think it's my favorite breakup story of all time. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's how I feel about that. So it's been a struggle mentally. I don't know. I'm not used to feeling this badly in the summertime. Mm. So it's a little bit troubling. Hmm. But um, I mean, I'm I'm taking action to try to change things, both in terms of you know what I'm doing in my personal life. I'm mm-hmm. continuing to work on this pod with you, which is a great you know, form of enrichment, like we've um, talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing, you know, creative writing, trying to have enrichment in that way. And now hopefully I can make more progress looking for other jobs that hopefully I I will just feel differently. And yeah. 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 So God, we'll see what that process is like. Um, I have a a friend who 
just recently went through this exact same transition Mm. earlier this year and she gave me a lot of great tips on how to find my next position so she's been a great resource for that yeah yeah I'm sure it'll be different than what you've experienced before but probably not in a bad way yeah yeah and even if I have trouble finding something that is you know super relevant to my degree mm-hmm. i i can always go back to the service industry back to my roots <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure you'll find something that that fits your interests and doesn't make you feel so stressed which is good yeah like any kind of transition is stressful but i think long term stress is what really matters so yes yeah, yeah. And I don't see, there's like one specific end point that everyone in our line of work is trying to get to, and Mm. I don't want that end point, Mm -mm. so there's just no point in continuing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went with a friend to the theater to go see Nope, Uh which was super fantastic. Um, I think that it's my favorite Jordan Peele movie. Awesome. Um, it definitely has the most rewatchability of his movies, I think. Yeah. And um, it's funny because right now I'm editing the episode uh, where we talked about Independence Day and all of like the the lack of rewatchability in <laughs> current movies. And I really think that I could watch that movie over and over again. Oh yeah, I immediately wanted to watch it again. So I really enjoyed it. I think that Jordan Peele just does such a fantastic job of incorporating humor into horror because, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I am such a proponent for comedic relief. Mm -hmm. And in very, very scary scenes, I also find that Jordan Peele can make me laugh, which is so incredible and something that you don't see in just typical comedic relief, right? Yeah. So there's this one scene in the movie, and I won't, I'll try not to spoil too much, but um, there's this scene where uh, you think it's going to be quite scary. And yes, I think that's the scariest scene in the movie, honestly. And the main character, um, Daniel Kaluuya, he just looks at the scary (laughs) thing and goes, nope. And then just starts slowly backing up. Um, So this is like a little mini update, um, kind of like what we did for after I watched Our Flag Means Death. So I just kind of wanted to talk about a couple of things that I really enjoyed about the movie. Um, Yeah. And I feel like now that we've both seen it, we could get maybe a little more spoilery as long as people have a fair warning. I'm fine with that. Yeah. And this episode will come out a couple weeks after the other one Mm -hmm. too. So most people will have seen it in theaters if they were going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't really need to go too much into spoilers to talk about how insanely good this movie was because the concept is fairly simple. Like everything that you need to know pretty much you get from the trailer. There's a big spaceship it's spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the jaws of the sky. It is. It's literally the jaws of the sky. And yes. I kept thinking, I don't know if I want to get into spoilers with this, but 
I loved that the twist that it is its own oh organism. God. It's not yes. a spaceship. It is a creature. And what it a looks twist. like a stingray. And like yeah. the way that it comes, the way that it like comes down to the earth and kind of like mm-hmm. flaps out, it looks just mm-hmm. like how a stingray swims. Absolutely. Just, it was so beautiful. It was, mm-hmm. I was fascinated and the cinematography in it is just oh incredible. Um, it's so good. Did I look up who did the cinematography? It's Hoyta Van Hoytema. Oh, okay. My yeah. Guy from oh my Dunkirk gosh. Incredible. All. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Um like there were definitely some like pretty scary parts in it. I would definitely mm-hmm. say that the Gordy scenes oh, were terrifying. Yeah. But one thing that I thought was extremely good about those scenes was mm-hmm. that they um, intentionally made Gordy look CGI. And yes. I believe that that was a intentional choice to like make him look very not realistic mm-hmm. because it makes it so much less like terrifying for me yeah. to be like, okay, well this looks fake, right? Like this is right. a, this is a technique to like not make people too terrified of what's happening here. And I thought that I mean- that was incredible. Like I thought that was so well done. And it would be incredibly hypocritical if they did use a live animal oh, absolutely. to convey no, the point but there... that it is asinine to use a live yes. animal like that. Absolutely. No, but I am I am um, certain that they could have made the CGI look a lot more realistic than it did. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And that was something that really stuck out to me. And yeah, I just think that it was really well done. Can I say one thing mm-hmm. while we're on those Gordy scenes? Yes, please. I also think um, Jordan Peele made a lot of like a tasteful decision to not have the most graphic violence of, yes. in frame yes. for that, but it did not take away from mm-hmm. how fucking terrifying those scenes were whatsoever. It was almost more scary to see it implied through yeah. uh, what you could see, but with and the, the worst sounds. things obscured. Oh god, oh, the sounds. The, the sounds sound. were... <sighs> yeah, and I, um, I had a very physical response to this movie, which was very interesting. I'm not used to watching movies in theaters anymore, mm. <laughs> and my body... I was making myself as small as possible during the Gordy scene and during mm-hmm. the very scary scene. So for you, my my <laughs> knees, I was like curled up like this and my hands were like on my you're face. Like, you look like I you're about to do a, a cannonball into a pool. <laughs> yeah, I was in a little ball. So our friend looked at me and was like, are you good? And I was like, I'm scared. <laughs> Um, so, like, the really scary moments were extremely effective, mm-hmm. um, but didn't take away from, like, it. I wouldn't even classify it as, like, a scary movie. It had right. scary components, but it's not, like, horror in the traditional sense. Yes. Oh, my God. Incredible. Um, the characters mm-hmm. are incredible. They are my favorite character group of mm-hmm. any of the Jordan Peele movies. They have such a fantastic chemistry with one another. My favorite character was the Best Buy guy. I, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that hilarious. I knew you would love him. Incredible. Um, I just love him. I love that he takes so it upon sweet. himself to like be, because when, when the, when you first interact with him, you just think that he is like totally checked out. He mm-hmm. does not like his job. And 
he's so funny. The fact that his he like turns on his car at one point and the music is just like blaring like I wear my sunglasses at night oh, and that. that scene was iconic that was yes. such a good scene I was also extremely impressed with the combination of writing and acting of um OJ Haywood OJ yes mm-hmm. um it, it's obviously a combination of like directorial uh advice on how to act this character the actor's Mm -hmm. influence on the character and the way that this character is written i guess i'm going to just talk about the character as a whole because i can't differentiate what all of the influences were but this character is so still and so Mm -hmm. quiet and so observant and it contrasts every instinct that i have in a horror movie and i think it's so artfully done because for example, in the opening scene, um, oh, yeah, stuff starts raining down from the sky. It's basically like a hailstorm. That's what yeah. I thought it was at first. And my instinct, if hail started coming down from the sky, would be to run inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but OJ stands outside and just kind of observes what's happening and looks around and is kind of putting together pieces. And it contrasted so much with what I thought the character should do. Um, And I'm not really sure exactly what, like if there's commentary there or if it's just like a, a choice for that character, but I thought it was so interesting. And from what I can remember about his get out um, performance as well, Mm -hmm. is that it, it had kind of a similar energy to it. He was, um, there were just, like, really good moments of stillness and silence in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. And he was also so funny as well. Like, despite, like, the the silence and stillness, like, there were very funny moments that came from yeah. OJ as well. So I thought he embodied that character so well. Yes. Like, I was... He seems like a person who has grown up on a horse ranch and worked with horses his whole life. So I found that so believable. Mm -hmm. He looks so natural on a horse. His stillness and calmness seems completely appropriate for someone who works with horses. It all was like very down to earth Mm -hmm. and it all made complete sense. It was a perfect performance. Yes. Yes. Um, Kiki Palmer... (laughs) I just love her. Um, that performance was so good. I grew up watching Kiki Palmer on like a Disney Channel movie that uh-huh. I like watched all the time. What and was it called? Jump In or something. It was a okay. jump rope movie where she like jump jumped rope, rope movie. Um, competitively or something. I don't know. It was like jump rope dance. Anyways. Cool. Uh, we watched it all the time when I was in like fifth grade. And mm-hmm. so it's. Like, it feels like I've grown up knowing about this actress and, like, also seeing her grow up. Because she was also in Aquila and the Bee, which I was obsessed with as a child. I had really high high hopes of being a spelling bee champ. And then uh, I was horrible at spelling. So same, same. We love it. That's um, my Achilles heel, spelling. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank God for spell check. <laughs> Thank God for abbreviations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't know um, how to spell it? Abbreviate. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I loved her character. Mm -hmm. I thought she was so much fun. And 
her energy is just so good in that film. Like, I just loved it. And she's such a good foil for OJ's character, for yes. the OJ character. They're so different, mm-hmm. but you still believe that they're brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And I loved the uh, the way that the film represented their bond mm-hmm. through, uh, I mean, there's a couple key parts that might have been my favorite parts of the entire movie was when... Um, something would be happening with Kiki Palmer's character. Emerald is her character name, yes. I think. Yeah, yeah, Um, Like the original time when she was meant to be training Jean Jacket, the horse, mm-hmm. and her dad kind of co-opted Jean Jacket for something else and didn't really take the time to consider Emerald's feelings, but mm-hmm. OJ did, and he saw her, and he did the hand signal for, I see you, and I know how this is affecting you. And then at the end... I know. I was crying. <laughs> I had tears in my eyes because... Uh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no. I just love it. I love how they uh, tied that in again. And we knew exactly what it meant. And it was so emotionally impactful. Yeah. What a what a special way to represent a wonderful family bond. Yeah. Even when people... Those two people are very different. And they yeah. certainly had conflict over their approach to how to continue that business. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, at the root of it in the relationship they they know each other and they see each other and that's yeah. the most important thing and I loved that yeah I uh, I'm addicted to this movie I think I hope that it's still in theaters when I'm traveling in a couple of weeks um because I want to go with um Scott and mm-hmm. go see that because I think he'll love it too And the last thing that really stuck out to me about the movie, I was surprised that you didn't bring it up because you're usually very in tune with the score of things. But I thought the score was so good in this movie. Like, I thought it was stellar. Um, Specifically, I remember first thinking about the score when Jupiter's Claim, like when you're heading to Jupiter's Claim and there's like a very um, characteristic like theme park-esque Mm-hmm. song playing like a western theme park song i loved it i thought it was yeah. very fun it was like a good score that wasn't too self-serious mm-hmm. and um yeah i just thought it was perfect yeah i think i held back on discussing that because that was one of the main ties to jaws i felt um specifically oh. a lot of the yeah. scoring toward I mean, when, like, the action, the big action sequences Mm -hmm. are taking place, very specifically during this one kind of, like, preparing for final battle sequence, when the the director, Antlers, is there, he's on, Mm -hmm. he's been recruited. That guy was weird as heck. He was awesome. I loved him. (laughs) Fantastic. And the guy from Fry's is helping Mm -hmm. him, like, assisting him, and... Which I love that duo. They're great together. Mm-hmm. But there's like a sequence where they are trying to get footage on the like analog no electricity mm-hmm. camera. And the guy from Fry's has to reload the film reels exactly in the same way where his character proxy Hooper from Jaws mm-hmm. had to reload the line reels for oh, the wow. harpoon and barrels in Jaws. Oh, that's and the so score good. Like, I was discussing it with Will after how 
it sounded exactly like the score from Jaws, mm-hmm. and Will thought it was the score from Jaws. It was so similar to like what oh. John Williams composed for those like high energy, you know, sequences. Wow. And I was like, that. I I mean, it it has to be completely intentional, and I loved it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so good. Jaws of the sky. <laughs> Jaws of the sky. Those were my thoughts on the movie. I want to watch it like five more times at least. I thought it was so good and so enjoyable to watch. And I think that Jordan Peele, what they do with uh, body language in all of his films is fantastic and is always something that really sticks out to me as well. Especially the scene in the barn. Um, (laughs) The body language in that scene is so absolutely terrifying. Like I was scared mm-hmm. the only thing that i was a little sad about was that steven young's character wasn't as prominent as i thought he would be like mm-hmm. he was he was definitely a, a big character in the film but i thought going into it i thought that he was going to be more of like the trio but uh. it, it ended up being the best by guy as part of the trio but he, his performance was outstanding mm-hmm. um how uncomfortable did you feel when um you saw the internal shot of everyone i thought it was cool i i'm just fascinated by the alien like i'm just absolutely fascinated by the design because it's like curtains it looks like fabric Mm -hmm. and soft Mm -hmm. and i want to jump up and down on it like a trampoline Mm -hmm. but still seeing everyone like consumed and compressed yeah like the feeding tube or whatever you would call that portion of the anatomy yeah. that was horrifying to me that was oh, right up there with the gordy scenes for me i was not scared of that i at all i don't love an enclosed space oh that makes uh, sense and so that being enclosed in that way with all of those people and animals and mm. it, it being ugh, i don't know i hated that very much but in like yeah. you know it i was like wow this is really effective to me I thought the screaming was so eerie. I loved that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at first you just hear it as like the horse screams, Mm -hmm. which was crazy and Mm -hmm. very scary. I Mm -hmm. um, have already expressed my fear of horses, but this movie (laughs) didn't really play with my fear of horses. No. Poor horses. Yeah. (laughs) Lucky was a good boy then. Yes, Lucky was a good boy and very smart and knew to stay mm-hmm. in that box. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was, was up. Star. Oh, and actually I had considered talking about Jurassic Park this week um, because mm-hmm. I didn't really have anything that I wanted to talk about like super intently. And one of the things that I really liked about this movie was that it, it is an animal. This is a predator and you have to treat it as such. Um, yes. And I think that that was a core theme in the movie of like, this and that's a thing in jaws jaws too obviously mm-hmm. in jaws you're dealing with a shark the shark doesn't have motive the shark is just hungry so it's eating mm-hmm. and i love any kind of media that draws that distinction because you can't like personify a t-rex that's eating a bunch of people like obviously it's eating a bunch of people is a t-rex mm-hmm. so i thought that that was a really cool thing that it made me think of just because i i love there's a part especially in the jurassic park book i don't know if they specifically say this in the movie but in the book um the scientist character alan grant he says to the young children like 
oh, well, they're not evil. Like, these are animals and, like, we have to treat them with respect and we have to treat them as though they're predators. And that was a common theme in Nope because um, a lot of the Gordy scenes are trying to draw a comparison between trying to tame something that is a predator in a way um, as opposed to something that's a like not a predator a horse um and how that causes problems and i just i think that like it it's saying so much about respecting creatures and not just taking them for granted you know right because I that's like the completely. main issue with what steven yen does mm-hmm. he thinks that he has control of the situation when clearly he does not right he does not know anything about what this predator is going to do i know uh, yeah, I agree completely that that the ultimate um, tactic of treating the organism with respect was how they succeeded was mm-hmm. a, an excellent message. I loved that. I also loved all of the floppy guys. Those were oh, really fun. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. like, like what a cool visual representation of uh, like where the enemy is. And, yes. Oh. Excellent work. I loved it, Jordan Peele. Please continue to make (laughs) excellent media. Please never stop making films. What a treasure to have on this planet. And the last update I would like to give you. I've just got so many updates. I've been meaning to give this update for a couple of weeks, but I keep forgetting. But you know how I get into, uh, like, phases with what I watch before bed? Yes. I have been watching... A uh, good mythical morning before bed. No way! <laughs> yeah, so I absolutely adore their just friendship. I think it's so enjoyable to watch at night. That's um, so funny. Yeah, so I've been watching that. I think that that's something we discussed in our first or second episode. I think so. A long time ago, mm-hmm. and um, it's so good. And I almost texted you extremely late last night because I was watching Will It Shorts and I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, I don't think I have. I wanted to text you that Will It Shorts has chaotic energy that reminds me of Blackbeard and Calico Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was just such high quality content that I was like, I I gotta see what uh, Remy thinks of this. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm glad you're liking it. It's just so lighthearted, and mm-hmm. it just makes me, f- like, I like to feel good right before I go to bed, um, because I get scared of the dark, which I'll get into with my piece of media for the <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that's a great vehicle for that. They also, yeah. um, so Rhett and Link, they're the, the hosts of Good Mythical Morning. They also have a really good podcast mm-hmm. called Ear Biscuits, where they have very long discussions about a lot of times it's like autobiographical information, mm-hmm. which I find very interesting mm-hmm. and compelling because, you know, they are hosting a, a morning show of sorts on YouTube. So they don't have a ton of like, like personal information being conveyed. Mm-hmm. So learning that information about them from their podcast is just fascinating and I find it really great because a lot of it requires an immense amount of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and they talk about really important things Uh, for example they have an entire series of episodes where they talk about 
how they grew up a very conservative Christian and Mm -hmm. were like Christian missionaries in college and did all this like really deep like evangelical stuff and then Mm -hmm. how they moved away from the church completely and um, how they're like agnostic now and what that process was like. Like, That's a excellent series. Really good. They also have another series they did a year or so ago ago called Sextember, where they talked about different topics relating to sex for like three or four episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. And that was really excellent too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really funny that you bring up them talking or not funny, I guess, but um, interesting that you bring up them talking about how they've moved away from religion because my first exposure to them when we were first talking about Good Mythical Morning was I used to go to youth group and I would go to youth group with all my friends every single week. Like it was like what we did. And we like put up a projector screen and watched like their videos more related to religion. And so apparently it left a huge impression on me because I recognized their faces and said to you, like, I think I saw these people when I was in youth group. (laughs) So that's fascinating. It's really interesting to see how much their content has changed. And I think that because they've been so long running, it must be interesting to see them change as people because they're growing and aging. And mm-hmm. I think that they're just such good friends. Like, I think that any kind of friendship that runs that deep is just so beautiful and great. Wonderful. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. And I'm really glad that we talked about that because I never would have started watching it if you hadn't brought that up in one of our first episodes so that's such good news okay so we're 40 minutes into this podcast oh boy we've done it again (laughs) Uh, we have done it again update episodes are or like episodes with updates are so hard because there's just so much to talk about about it's just exciting Mm -hmm. I I don't apologize whatsoever for making time for enthusiasm it's great I love that I love that I have been thinking that we could consider splitting update episodes as their, like, own mini-sode at some point, just because they do take quite a bit of time. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, But, yeah, so I'm going first today, so you guys get to hear me talk more about something that I love, which is the podcast Two Girls, One Ghost. This is a podcast that I discovered this summer and have listened to almost every day. I have so much about it that I love. Basic background is that they started releasing episodes in the year of 2017, so in August. So they're actually celebrating their five-year anniversary this year, which is so exciting. But they're basically two friends that met in their undergrad, their freshman year. And after they left college to stay in touch, they started this podcast. Oh, and that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so I love their friendship. And it's just like really wholesome, even though like it's about ghosts and can get kind of spooky sometimes. Like I'm always laughing and I feel like a lot of happiness when I listen to their episodes. And I actually discovered it by listening to one of my other podcasts called Ladies and Tangents. Mm -hmm. They did a sleepover episode. So they basically like told ghost stories as if they were all at a sleepover together. And I thought it was really cute. 
So I also recommend Ladies and Tangents. It's a very good uh, podcast as well. So I have a very complicated relationship with paranormal stuff that I think I should kind of talk about a little bit. So I'm not sure how vulnerable (laughs) I'll get, um, Mm -hmm. but like it's something that I feel a lot of very complex emotions about. So will I cry? Who knows? But I'm a very big scaredy cat, and I think I'm more of a scaredy cat now than I ever was before. Really? Yes. There's kind of a story to that, which you already know. I've always been, like, fascinated with paranormal things, but never really thought about them as a potentially real concept that people really experience. I always just thought it was, like, fun ghost shows where it's all, like, a scam and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. And then I started grad school and um, met one of our mutual friends, Lily. And um, it kind of came up my first year of grad school where I can't remember how it came up, but I had basically told her about this experience that I have when I'm outside at night and streetlights will go off when I pass them, which has definitely scientific explanations. But this is like a common phenomenon that a lot of people kind of associate with paranormal activity or just like your energy. Um, So that was kind of like, it kind of opened the door to talking about paranormal things with this friend because her partner also experiences that. Uh. Um, And so like we had a fun like bonding experience over that. And um, so over the course of our friendship, she started sharing more and more fun paranormal stories with me um, because there's like a history of paranormal experiences in her family and with her. And so that was uh, a pretty like mind bending thing for me just because I'd always thought about paranormal experiences as this very removed fake thing that was just like fun to kind of consider. And then I had this friend that I like trust and know really well telling me like, yeah, I've seen ghosts come out of my mirror. And (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, like, I need to, like, reevaluate my concept of this, right? And it's not that she was, like, telling me, like, you have to believe me or something. It was that upon hearing that, I kind of reflected on my own interpretations of things and started thinking about it more. And Uh um, then we had a very funny interaction later on in our friendship, probably, uh, like, three years in, where we had a conversation about her experiences and that she can usually tell when a house is haunted. And the conversation went as follows. Me. If my house is haunted, do not tell me. (laughs) Lily, don't you want to (laughs) know? Me. No, not at all. Do not tell me. (laughs) And then Lily uh, told me it's haunted. And I was like, (laughs) why would you do that? No. Um, and I still give her uh, shit about this, but rightly uh, so, <laughs> Lily. If you're listening, I'm not angry at you for telling me my house is haunted. <laughs> How dare you? Um, I'm just, I'm just kind of giving this as background for like why I have the relationship with the paranormal that I do. Okay. So I definitely like reflected on that more. Um, Lily taught me uh, how to smudge my house, so burning sage and um we had remy over for that that experience as well and it was a really interesting experience there 
was apparently a ghost in the house that didn't really know we were even there, um, was just kind of keeping track of the house. And um, Remy said some very nice things uh, when when we like were talking to the spirit. So did I? Yeah, you have you have a really good way with words. You said because um, the the conversation went like, well, what what do you still need? Like, what what is stopping you from moving on? And he had said something along the lines of, "I want to be seen." And like, so we just kind of acknowledged him and said like, "Thank you for spending time in the house and keeping it safe and keeping the cats company when Cat uh, and Scott are away." And and. I think a lot of those words came from you because I, I did not know what to say at that moment. I was <laughs> terrified. I was just like, oh, this is a fun exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would I say to, to a, a ghost. supposed ghost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and to, to clarify, you have very different beliefs in the paranormal than I do. Sure. But that is not to say that you uh, feel the same way about things like this that I do. And that doesn't mean I wouldn't help you with your ghost problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved your openness in that moment. And I thought that it like made me feel really good. I actually still use that, that when I'm smudging, um, I smudge like once a month usually. And I say Uh like, if you're a friendly spirit and you're here, like, thank you for making this house safe. And thank you for keeping my cats company and when I say that usually Sparky will roll over on his back like someone's Uh petting him on the stomach and I just think it's it's fascinating so yeah I don't know uh what I believe but I I like to smudge and set positive intentions for my house now and stuff like that so anyways back to the the matter at hand I stumbled onto this podcast and I've listened to a lot of the episodes And I feel like in a way it has kind of helped me to better understand other people's paranormal experiences and approach my own paranormal, potentially paranormal experiences with more of like a curious mindset instead of a terrified mindset. I think it's helpful in that way. And uh, like there's such a variety of things that people have written about and talked about on the podcast and uh it definitely makes me feel like okay like if if there were to be a spirit here it's probably not going to do anything to harm anybody and it's probably not malicious and it's probably literally doesn't even know i'm here so like we we're fine um but i i just think that the podcast has kind of helped me approach things with less anxiety and more of like an open mind and Mm -hmm. like a curious mindset. Is that the main conceit of the show? Like people talk about their personal experiences with the paranormal? Yeah. So actually they have three different episode types. They have Ah. research episodes where the two hosts talk about a haunted building or some kind of story that they've done a lot of research on and they both basically kind of do what we do where they both bring a topic and talk about that topic um then they have campfire stories which is a there's a spotify live it was something like that and basically they host live sessions where you can like as an audience member get up on stage virtually Mm -hmm. And tell your ghost story like a campfire. <gasps> wow. Which is risky. Cool. I've never listened to those um, because I do know 
that some like spooky or audio things happen. I don't know. So I'm just not there for that kind of uh, episode as much mm-hmm. because I get spooked very easy. And they also happen at like Tuesdays at five. And I'm like, that's not a Tuesday night vibe. Thank you. <laughs> but my favorite kind of episode are encounters episodes. So people write in to the email and talk about their paranormal experiences and then they're read by the hosts on the podcast. Cool. And I like that a lot. Um, I they, they have such a range of very scary to I'm crying at work because someone wrote in about their experience with a loved one that has passed or something and Mm -hmm. those are like really touching experiences and or like very happy wholesome experiences like a ghost that turns off the tv if you accidentally leave it on (laughs) or turns off the lights and like helps you around the house or something so like (laughs) there's just like such a range of stories that people write in about and there's also like cryptid stories so people who are writing in about bigfoot or people who are writing in about fey experiences i didn't know that was allowed it's so fun um yes and it is allowed and they're also writing in about like alien abductions Mm -hmm. so yeah i just i think that the the range of the podcast is so fun and there's a little bit of like stuff for everybody like I really like the encounters episodes but I'm sure that other people really like the research episodes like I'm sure that really scratches an itch for other people so yeah that's one of the things that I really love about this uh podcast so um I have a short list of the things that I love about it it's three items long um so the first thing I love about it obviously I've already kind of touched on this is the hosts and Leia. Leia is Sabrina's cat mm-hmm. and she's very vocal on the episodes and it's very cute. <laughs> so, what are the host things? Uh Sabrina and Corinne mm-hmm. and I just think that they have a lovely friendship and sometimes they get like they spook each other on the podcast not intentionally but like one of them will be like, did you hear that? And then the other one's like, no, what happened? <laughs> and the other one's like, I don't know, there was a shadow. <laughs> they like work themselves up and it's uh-huh. it's really silly. And then they just keep going with the podcast. And I just think it's it's cute because they're also scaredy cats. Like they they get spooked just like I do when they read some of these stories. And that's hilarious. I think that it just fits my vibe really well. <laughs> But I also love that they have their own, like, quirky uh, stories that they're especially interested in, or, like, their own quirky interests. So Corinne is obsessed with Bigfoot, and any Bigfoot story gets, like, attention, Corinne. And Sabrina wants to get abducted by aliens. Uh, Wow. Terribly. She's like, just take me. Um, (laughs) She's one of those people on top of the skyscraper in Independence Day. Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. signs. Excellent. Yes. And I just think that they're they're so funny. They get me laughing and it just uh, they just are so such good hosts. And part of this, like part of why I like them so much as hosts, which is also number 2 reason why I love this podcast, is that on the encounters episodes or when anybody's telling a story about their experiences, they approach it as though it is 100% fact. They do not ever make anyone feel like no your experience isn't real and I think that that is 
such an important thing for building this community of people who believe in the paranormal. You can't like pick and choose what you believe and what you don't believe. Like, Mm -hmm. I just think that it's, it's very positive and they approach everything as though it is 100% fact. And I love that about them. And I think it validates people's experiences and makes them feel like they're not crazy, which is such a huge thing with people who feel like they're experiencing paranormal things. They're always invalidated and they're always told that like, oh, it's probably just mental illness or something. And I just Mm -hmm. think that their approach fosters this community of just like people sharing their stories. And I love that. I think that that's so great and so positive. Um, And they also never judge people's religion, um, which I think is perfect. Like there are people who um, are like, I'm a witch and I practice uh, witchcraft. And then Mm -hmm. there are people who are like, I am a devout Catholic and I've had X experience or people who are Protestant and um, other religions. Like, I just think that that's very positive. And they're also not religious, which is uh, also an interesting factor. Like, I think that so many non-religious people end up judging other people for having religion or for wanting religion and or for wanting to be spiritual. Like, I just think that we need to be just more open-minded. And uh, I really like that they are open-minded in that way. That's nice. Yeah. And so point number three, they have built this really nice community of people and listeners who write in about their experiences and validate other people's experiences. They have a Facebook group, which I'm not a part of, but they have a Facebook group where if people are looking for advice on, I'm having this issue, do I sage or do I do X, Y, or Z, or should I get holy water? Like, what is your advice? And there's like a bunch of people who have been practicing witchcraft and they give advice. And I just think that It's such a lovely community that they've built and everyone's so kind and nice to each other. And I just think, I just love that. I love it when people are good, wholesome people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it just, it makes me feel good to listen to like that kind of support for that community who it's typically like a very taboo thing to talk about. I'm so happy that those people have a community where that's like an okay thing for them to be really vulnerable. And um, this is a point that like I want to touch on is that like if someone tells you a ghost story, like it is a vulnerable experience. And like they like a lot of times it's people who have been or believe they've been contacted by loved ones and are receiving signs or something like that. And that is a part of their grief process. And they should, Mm -hmm. like, if someone is my friend, I would want them to be disinhibited to talk to me about that. Like, even if I didn't, or even if they thought I didn't believe in that kind of thing, like, I would never shoot someone down for talking to me about something that was healing for them. And I don't want people to be scared to talk about part of their healing process and things that have helped them deal with grief. And I want people to be loved and supported. And a lot of people are like dealing with mental illness and uh, might also experience paranormal uh, activity that is related to that. And if people feel like it's taboo to talk about this part of their experience then they're not healing fully and they're not able to process these emotions fully and I just think that I am trying to be a more accepting and open-minded person and that's one of my own personal goals and I just implore other people to also consider that like it's part of people's healing process sometimes and I also want to plug the 
new crisis hotline number and the suicide hotline number. It is 988. If you or a loved one is experiencing a mental health crisis, I encourage you to share this number, reach out to these people. You can call or text, or they also have an online chat. So I think that um, this is a relatively new change that isn't being like um, circulated enough. So Mm -hmm. I just want everyone to know that those resources are there and um, to seek them out if you are struggling. So That's U.S. specific, correct? I think so. Yeah, I just heard about that a couple weeks ago, but um, only, I think, in one instance. So yeah, it hasn't been widely advertised. Yeah, yeah. So, and I don't know the other numbers for other countries, but I also implore you to look those up and have those Uh, readily available as a resource even if you Mm -hmm. won't ever use them I think that it's so helpful if a family member is in crisis to have those or a friend is in crisis to have those readily available and have access to Mm -hmm. those because that can be so life-changing and it helps so many people so right those are resources I'm really happy they made it a three-digit number. Yes. Rather yeah, than yeah. the full nine. one eight hundred and Yeah. Something you could never remember, but yeah. you can remember 988. Yeah, and it's so similar to 911. Like, uh-huh. it's great. So I'm mm-hmm. so happy they did that. And I'm also really happy that they also have, like, a text feature. Because yeah. some people talking on the phone in a crisis is a terrifying thing that people don't want to do and the fact that it's an option to text a crisis counselor is just i think we're improving the system so drastically Mm -hmm. um so i just want to plug that to as many people as i can yeah that's a great point i think that like mental illness and paranormal things kind of uh they overlap in certain ways and i want everyone to know that that's a resource so i hope that you feel disinhibited to contact those who can really, really help and give this number to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think it's really important. So, yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've got on that. Uh, but I think that I think that it's so much fun to explore these concepts and um, hear about other people's experiences in a positive way that's non-judgmental. And I just think that it's such a lovely community that they've built. And so thank you, Sabrina and Corinne, for building this really lovely community of people who share their stories and their experiences. And this is my 10 out of 5 star review for you. (laughs) If you listen. Have you ever considered writing an email of your own into them for the experience episodes? Um, I haven't had anything too extreme happened to me yet but I probably will write in and tell them that we have a podcast episode uh uh, talking about their podcast cool yeah you could tell them about the first time you smudged your house too yeah that's true count right yeah I should tell Lily to send me some of her stories and I can pawn them off Sure. Not pawn them off as though they are my own, but a lot of people <laughs> oh. write in about like, this isn't my story, but this is a friend's story and they don't listen to the podcast. So they of told course. me I could use it. Yeah. And oh, sorry. One last thing. I have a favorite encounters episode that I'd like to share for anybody who um, wants to 
get into it. Um, it's actually Encounters 120. Um, and this is a really good one because it has like cryptid stories, especially. Same. And I always think those are super fun. So it's like camping. I think it's the theme is camping stories, but there's like a story about a ghost and a story about a siren or like an elf or something. And okay. it's just a really different episode that can kind of give you a taste of a lot of different things. So I really recommend it. It's available on any podcast app. So I listen to it on Spotify and that's, I think, where they do the live episodes as well. So that's so fun. Yeah, it's a really fun podcast. Awesome. Alright, I guess I'll move into my piece for the week. So, this week I'm going to talk about the TV series Ted Lasso, and I'm going to specifically talk about season one, so that if I feel like it, I can come back and talk about other seasons at other times. And also I feel like I have so much that I want to say about it that I'd like to limit it to season one, because mm-hmm. there is easily enough content and like development to unpack is the season separately um so ted lasso is an apple tv original comedy series and it debuted in august of 2020 so right in that first summer of the coronavirus pandemic and i think the timing couldn't have been better because it was exactly what I think a lot of people, including me, needed during that time because it's a series, I think, as far as I know, most people know it's it's well known for being a series about positivity and things of that nature. And so it's just kind of like a balm in, in really worrying times. And you haven't seen any of it, Kat, correct? No, I know the general premise, but... Not very much about it at all. Yeah. Um, so the general premise is that the series stars Jason Sudeikis as the titular Ted Lasso. And <laughs> he's an American football coach from Kansas. Mm-hmm. And he's had success coaching college football. Mm-hmm. And he moves to London to coach football football. Mm-hmm. Uh, like European soccer football, football. soccer <laughs> football yeah for a premier league team a premier league club there in London it's a fictional club called AFC Richmond and so the premier league that's like the top tier of mm-hmm. English football and he has never coached football football before so it's completely uh, out of his wheelhouse and he also is not very well traveled he's never lived in England before and so he's moving from the middle of America to London to have this job that he's not exactly even qualified for Uh so it's kind of a it's a fish out of water story and you're just watching him acclimate to these new conditions and I think most people know that a lot of people take football very seriously, so the move to hire Ted Lasso as the new coach, uh, as like an inexperienced American, was not a popular move, so Mm -hmm. he's also making this transition in the face of a lot of adversity and um, lack of confidence in in the decision to hire him. Imposter syndrome. (laughs) Of course, yeah. 
And you find out in the series pilot that you're kind of set up with your main opponent or your main antagonist of season one is the owner of AFC Richmond, and her character's name is Rebecca Welton. She's played by Hannah Waddingham, and she, you find out early on that she has deliberately hired Ted Lasso to coach this team because she wants the team to fail because she just went through a very messy divorce with her husband Rupert and he was the owner of the team and she like I think got ownership as part of the divorce settlement Mm -hmm. I want to say and Rupert loves AFC Richmond it's like his whole life he's very invested in it and so out of spite for him cheating on her throughout their marriage she wants to run the team into the ground fuck that guy good for her (laughs) do it and so uh like move number one in that plan is hiring this really unqualified guy from the United States who's never coached football Mm -hmm. and (laughs) so that's like the main setup but Ted doesn't know that obviously just Mm -hmm. uh just Rebecca and her sort of right hand man his name is Higgins. He finds that out. That that is her goal as well, <laughs> and so <laughs> that's the the basic premise. And so you watch Ted, and he also brought along his right hand man, his assistant coach. His character's name is Coach Beard. He's the basically the only person that's in Ted's corner from mm-hmm. the beginning. Mm-hmm. So you watch him set off on this journey to try to not just win over the team and the fans and everyone involved in this organization, but also to just be a good coach. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I guess I should have said from the beginning, this series was created by Brendan Hunt, who is the actor who plays Coach Beard, the um, assistant coach, as well as Joe Kelly and Bill Lawrence. And um, so there's like a lot of showrunners and writers that are constructing this entire series and what I think a lot of people like about it and what I like about it it's also it's funny because when I originally was trying to sell our flag means death to you I described it as the the Ted Lasso of the seas (laughs) and I think that's holds true because it's it's a fish out of water story where this guy who shouldn't be in charge is now in charge but he has such a positive and humanistic approach that he wins you know starts winning people over and starts winning over you as an audience member too Mm -hmm. and it just turns into a really heartwarming series and does it in a really great way that you feel um, fulfilled and you feel like a lot of wholesome things are happening, but it's heartwarming without being too trite or like too saccharine. Like it's not overly sweet or like overly simplistic mm-hmm. or unrealistic. I guess I is what I'm what I mean. Yeah. Um, because it covers a lot of heavy topics and important issues, but it does it without being like patronizing or depressing. Mm -hmm. And so it, I think that what makes the show great and what makes it so successful is that the writing is so well done. Mm -hmm. 
and the characters are so unique and enjoyable that the uh, the story is seamlessly giving you all of these messages in a way that um, isn't off-putting. And so, I don't know, I mean, it covers so many topics, like from anything to like divorce, to power dynamics, to um, how to make friends, or how to decide what you want to do with your life, or all of these like really big heavy topics, but time and again, it kind of returns to some core approaches that it gives you really great examples of adults putting into practice successfully. And it's like, so like what I would say in terms of core tenets or core principles of how the show is demonstrating people living is like showing people that are willing to grow showing people that are willing to be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. showing people that are willing to hold themselves accountable. That's like a huge refrain that I see in the storytelling of the show is like vulnerability and accountability and showing characters successfully hold themselves to those standards, as well as like people that are willing to to disregard their ego in service of those goals. Mm -hmm. So I love that it doesn't like sit you down and say, hey, you should be vulnerable, it shows you people putting that into practice. Uh And it shows you the outcome of those things. And it makes you sit there and be like, wow, I love that character 100% more now that I just saw them Uh hold themselves accountable for a thing they did and like apologize. And it's really stands out to me because it's not something you see every day in, Uh uh, in a series, I think, or at least it's not presented so saliently yeah and it's funny too because while the show is centered on this football club it's not overly sports heavy like Mm -hmm. the sports are secondary you know this is a the football team is is a vehicle for a community of people basically and so it's not like you don't need to know anything about football to appreciate what's going on. Like and that's not necessary. Not. <laughs> yeah. I would not know anything. <laughs> um, and it kind of fits perfectly with Ted's coaching style because he makes it very clear early on that he cares more about helping his team members grow as people than he cares about winning games. Mm. And that's a very unpopular approach. <laughs> that's so um, interesting. Yeah. Because, because people just want to win. Yeah. And it's also, it it shows, like, the transition from, like, helping college-age students grow as people mm-hmm. to helping adults grow as people. And, mm-hmm. like, how um, the same general mentality still applies, I think. Yeah. 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 And a lot of the team members are younger mm-hmm. men, like 19 or 20. It's oh, that's okay. really common for gotcha. athletes in this in this league, but there's also um people that are like adult adults too, like Rebecca, she's a, like a more mature woman and she mm-hmm. has to deal a lot with what it's like being a woman of a certain age in the media and mm. all of the baggage that comes with that that's a big theme um and there's also 
the people that are kind of aging out of the team, like the team captain is very near retirement age in this first season. And you have to kind of watch him come to terms with abandoning this part of his identity that has been so important to him his entire life. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's a huge thing to deal with. But yeah, it's, (laughs) it's really, it's really satisfying to watch these people navigate this relation, these relationships in this situation and just allow yourself to be won over by this team. And another great thing is that the antagonists are really compelling as well. Um, So I brought up Rebecca Welton, the team owner. Um, You know, she's a, a, a compelling opponent because you you see from the very beginning what her motivations are and like where she's coming from and why Uh she's doing the things she's doing. And you understand that all of these decisions are coming from a place of pain. And there's other antagonists as well that are compelling. So there's this one player on the team, his character's name is Jamie Tart, and he is just what a like a complete asshole like the worst he sucks bad (laughs) he sucks so bad (laughs) um he's played by the actor phil dunster what a convincing piece of shit like i don't know how he does it (laughs) i assume he's not like that in real life but wow i hate that character so bad he does a great job so he's like very compelling to root against and Mm -hmm. he serves as like a great counter example of like how not to act and Mm -hmm. how not to be when you want to be like a mature adult and a good person and stuff Mm -hmm. like that so but you know over time you also gain context for why he acts the way that he does like all of these people are are completely well-rounded characters that you come to understand. Um, And you also come to understand, like, why Ted Lasso took this job in the first place, because it doesn't really make sense (laughs) for him to do want to do this. Uh And you find out that he is sort of um, navigating a really um, tricky rough patch in his marriage. He has a wife and a kid back in the United States, and his marriage is falling apart, and his wife requested that she have space to try to figure out what she wants mm-hmm. uh, to do moving forward. And so this was his way of giving her like the maximum amount of space so that she could consider what she wants. It's a pretty extreme wants. amount of space. <laughs> it is extreme, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but man, what a great ensemble of characters Uh like the there's I could just give you an entire laundry list of excellent characters it's just what a good ensemble how Um, many episodes is the show the first season is 10 episodes Mm. they run about 30 ish minutes so it's pretty quick maybe 30 to 40 minutes each season two is 12 episodes and I think season three should be coming out later this year I believe there's no official date yet, but if it's on the same trajectory as past seasons, I think it should be sometime this fall. Yeah, that's nice. I like a short episode. Yeah, 
And there's rumors that the third season will be the final season. So Mm. if they stick to their guns on that, I'll be very impressed. Um, Just because the show has been so So popular. successful, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many different issues that the show tackles. Like, I just brought up um, Ted's um, issues that he's navigating with his wife, which, I mean, I don't think this isn't, like, a much of a spoiler, but it does end up, they do decide to get divorced in this first season, and it does something really important, I think, in that it shows you these two people that really care about each other have an end to their marriage that is completely Mm non-toxic, and it's um, respectful, and there's obviously a lot of love and compassion still in their relationship and even though both of them might not want the divorce to be happening it shows you how you can still be a good person and move into a different phase of your life and respect what your loved ones need yeah and that's i mean that in itself how many examples of a amicable divorce can you think of in popular media like I can't think almost of none. almost any yeah yeah and and I've talked about this before on the podcast how I think it's so important to model things like accountability and vulnerability mm-hmm. and like when we were talking about cha-cha um cha-cha real smooth yeah um we were talking about how that's a movie sparky <laughs> is, <laughs> is like scratching on cardboard <laughs> right outside the door <laughs> I gotta put those away when we're recording. Um, yeah, I just think that it's so valuable, and I think we're moving in a direction where the those kinds of things are modeled better in media. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so interesting because people will be like, oh, violent video games are, that's all, like, a myth or whatever. And, like, that that's fair. But, like, also, we can be, like, if you do think that violent video games are having an effect on people like why aren't we modeling good behavior like why aren't we modeling Mm -hmm. mature accountable behavior as well Mm -hmm. like give people resources to consume that kind of media and i think we're getting a lot better at that yeah um yeah i just think that it's really valuable for people to see Mm -hmm. yeah i think you would love this show because there's so much modeling of uh, aspirational like, mm-hmm. healthy behavior yeah. and treating things like um, struggles with mental health with respect and dignity and yeah. just treating people like humans. Um, I think you would really like this show, to be honest. I think and, so, too. But, yeah, it does, it does such a good job of modeling all of these different things. And another great thing that I love that it models is it shows – men being emotional and men crying and supporting each other and it's just a normal thing that they're doing because that's a Mm -hmm. normal thing to do and uh, there's men that have like very open conversations with each other because they're seeking advice um there's it's funny it's like a part of the show it's called this group of men that give each other advice they call themselves the diamond dogs so it's like ted and coach beard and Nate, who's another assistant coach, and mm-hmm. Higgins, and, you know, some other people get incorporated over time. And 
they set aside time to talk through issues they're having with each other because they mm-hmm. each have different life experiences that the others can can get you know good information from and yeah. that's a great thing to see I love it I love when the diamond dogs convene it's delightful that makes me think of um the bromance book club that ah. like romance book that I read where sure, yeah. all of the baseball players get together and they read romance novels together to help improve their marriages and uh-huh. it's like it's corny but it was so wholesome and it's, I yeah. think that it's such like a lovely concept of like having vulnerable conversations with other men and mm-hmm. just being better like mm-hmm. making putting an effort to be a better human I I'm for that with anybody like I think we should always be trying to improve ourselves and we should always be aspirational and I just think Mm -hmm. that it's it's such a good mentality to have of like I can be better yeah yeah I love that they show those conversations between men another thing that I saw that I noticed like it's really funny noticing these things as things that I feel like I'm seeing for the first time almost um in another cool thing I noticed in the first season is women having non-competitive just completely respectful friendships like adult women who aren't competing they're just supporting each other they're not judging each other Mm -hmm. they're not judging other women and when these two women become really good friends and like a past best friend woman comes in they're all just friends. It's not this weird oh competition yeah, for yeah. friendship for no reason. They're all just like, oh my god, we yeah. all, we both have this friend in common. Obviously, we should be friends. And it's not yeah. drama. It's not, oh yeah, yeah, this is what I was like wanting to say. It's, this show proves that you don't need to show all of these negative, bad emotions happening and like, having it centered on the bad aspects of humanity in order to keep people's attention. Mm-hmm. You can keep viewers' attention yeah. with people being healthy and growing as well, which is great. Yeah, and it's also, like, in a way, lazy because you're just falling back on stereotypes of, like, women can't get along with other women because mm-hmm. they're always hyper-competitive mm-hmm. or men can't cry, so obviously the conflict has to be around men not being able to express their emotions and that causing issues. Like, that is lazy and stereotypical. Like, yeah. as filmmakers, as television writers, like, I think we're really improving that aspect. And I think an important thing to note, um, I forget how long it took me to start watching the show. I didn't start watching it immediately because I had just had an impression of the show that it was, like, maybe something that would be too, I don't know, like, perhaps, like, infringing on, like, toxic positivity territory, Mm. which I'm not a fan of, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely not that. Yeah. And I think that's really important to note, because I can see why people might avoid it for that reason. Like, they think it's complete Mm -hmm. optimism, like, fantasy world type stuff, and it is not that at all. It's people dealing with real realistic issues but they're approaching it in a mature way and they're trying to be open and honest and hopeful about you know the fact that 
hopeful that they can cultivate a happy life if they can make decisions out of love and respect for other people. Yeah. Uh, that's the core of the show. So if you if you put off watching it for that reason, you don't I wouldn't say you have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Um and something that is complementary to the fact that it's not just like blind positivity is that none of the characters are 100% good or bad. Like even Ted who is, you know, on the most extreme end of the spectrum in terms of modeling this really positive attitude, he has moments where he doesn't act like himself Mm -hmm. and he lashes out at people for you know reasons that you understand because they're portrayed on screen but you see that even he has to you know stick to his own advice and apologize and call himself out when he acts out of character and you know even people that you don't like they have good moments sometimes Mm -hmm. too it's everyone is not one dimensional yeah which is really nice and i also really like that i mean i don't think this is a spoiler per se this is a spoiler for like the sports portion of the story in that you know in the first season in terms of the performance of the team they are not successful like Mm -hmm. they have a really disappointing thing that happens at the end of the season in that season finale in terms of team performance and I really liked that that was how they wrapped the season they showed that you can't just sweep in with this optimism and it works immediately and everything is fixed like you see all of the hard-won progress that Ted makes trying to get these people to be better versions of themselves Mm -hmm. but that doesn't automatically um translate into success on the field Uh, yeah and so I liked that a lot yeah but I'm sure it also touches on like the concept that you are not your job as like a person like Mm -hmm. your performance is not fully related to your worth as a human and Mm -hmm. I like that like I like that they're not successful because I think that that's important for people to realize you can still be unsuccessful in your endeavor and have worked really hard for it. And that's fine. Like that's a, Mm -hmm. you still did a good job. You just didn't win. Right. Exactly. I think we're so like trained that like you can do a good job and if you don't win, it all meant nothing. Right. Right. Exactly. So I think that that's really good. Yes. I think I like the show so much. I think you would love it. And you're totally correct in that it decouples the success on the pitch versus success in the the interpersonal lives of these characters. Mm -hmm. And that's, I just love the writing on the show. They do such a good job. And yeah, it's, it's really great. I guess like those are all the the highlights and then I just wanted to give a short list of some of my favorite characters when I was compiling this list I had to cut myself off because like (laughs) I just wanted to keep writing more and more characters because they're all so good Mm -hmm. um so trimmed it to five okay so I have coach beard because he's just a really unique character he's enjoyable 
and mysterious. He's mysterious. <laughs> oh, you love a mysterious yeah. character. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sam Obasanya, he's one of the players on the team. What a delight. What a delightful young man. He's oh. so sweet. I love, I love, um, just how he is. And uh, I love his, his arc in season two, which hopefully one, one day I'll get to talk about. I'll, I can talk about season two on another episode. And which brings me to my next character, Trent Krim. So he's a reporter for The Independent. And my entire discussion of season two will be dedicated to justice for Trent Krim. Trent Krim would never. Oh, no. <laughs> so get ready for that. <laughs> um, another character I really like is Keely Jones. She is a really interesting female character that she, I wasn't sure what to make of her at first because I was like expecting her to play into a specific trope and she didn't and she was much more interesting and complex and had a lot of a lot more development than I expected and I love her character for that she does a great job she's played by Juno Temple so she's really fun to watch and I know I've brought this up before back when we did our top five best supporting characters list this was an honorable mention. So my favorite character of the whole show is Roy Kent. He's yes. the, the team captain that I was referencing earlier. Mm-hmm. This character is amazing. He is perfect. He's excellent. He's such a good character. I would I wish he like I wish every episode centered on him. <laughs> He's so pleasing and fun to watch. I love watching his journey over all of the the different episodes and he's played by the actor Brett Goldstein who is also one of the head writers for the Mm -hmm. show as well and so I want to give credit to him both for his acting and his writing on the show because it is excellent yeah um and I also really love his podcast that he has he has a podcast called films to be buried with he has guests on each mm-hmm. episode and they talk about their life through their favorite films and that's a really great listen. I love that. So, man, what a great show. I can't wait to see if season three will be the final season. I will applaud them if that is the case. Mm-hmm. And I I think you could get through the first two seasons in the seven-day free trial for yeah, Apple TV true. Plus if you really wanted to. So yeah, I think I think you'd love it, Kat. Yeah, I'm always looking for content that makes me feel good inside, and mm-hmm. I am so like if it's sold to me as like something that's going to make me smile. I mean, there's enough bad in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't need to like be crying over. Uh, plot lines just for fun. Um, but, and like obviously that has a time and place, but it just it's not like what I gravitate towards. So this sounds so good yeah. and refreshing. And I also need to still watch Severance because I know that listening to our episode has gotten Scott really hooked and he wants yeah. to watch it. You should um, have him, you should make him get a, an Apple TV Plus subscription. Yeah, I mean, it's not very expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's. Four ninety nine a month. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. That's a steal. 
HBO. HBO. Why are you doing this to me? I did cancel my HBO. I know. I started one, so you could use mine now. (laughs) But, oh man, I would love to hear your take on the characters and Mm -hmm. who you like. There's so many. Like, I feel so sad I could only list five because there's so many great characters. Um, are we ready for our diagram? I think so. I think that there's a lot of overlap, actually. I, I think so, too. Up on a lot. Um, one of the most salient ones that I thought of while you were talking was the, um, like, treating people like humans. Like you said, I think you said treating people like humans and having respect for other people and that kind of guiding you and, um being aspirational in some cases and Mm -hmm. having accountability and vulnerability that like stuck out most saliently to me because that's something that, I mean, I think that's one of the best aspects about two girls, one ghost is that they treat everybody with respect and um, all of their religions with respect and all of their practices with respect. And I just think a lovely way to, to grow and just like build a nice environment for people to be in. So Mm -hmm. That was, like, one of the most salient ones that came up for me. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Especially when you were talking about uh, people being vulnerable. I think that is, like, a a core, core tenet of Ted Lasso is trying to Mm -hmm. model people being vulnerable and how, how much more satisfaction and happiness you can ultimately derive in your life if you are willing to put in the effort to be vulnerable and how much that can pay Mm -hmm. off yeah and how much that can like heal you as a person too Mm -hmm. like being vulnerable that your experiences can be a healing thing and i mean it seems like they've got a really good community in ted lasso as well like the diamond the diamond dogs yeah the diamond dogs (laughs) diamond boys yeah um I mean, like, the the Diamond Dogs, it, it's like a community of people that are talking to one another and being vulnerable with one another, and I think that's so nice. Yeah. One of the things about Two Girls, One Ghost is that it feels like you're just hanging out with this, your friends, and you're mm-hmm. not talking to them, but you're just, like, listening to their conversation. Yeah. And I, I love that. I just think that it's such, like, a friendly... Mm-hmm. atmosphere and that's kind of what Ted Lasso makes me feel like it would be yeah oh there's one episode in the first season I think it might be episode seven where they um the players reveal to Ted that they all firmly believe that a room in their like stadium slash training facility is cursed and they all have to hold, like, not a seance, but some type of um, ritual ritual where they all come together and they have to sacrifice an object that's really important to them in order to, like, honor or pay homage to the ghosts that have cursed the this room in the facility mm-hmm. and it's really pleasing and i think <laughs> that sounds right up my alley i, I love think that. The, i think your pod would really be into that ceremony yeah. that they hold yeah mm-hmm. yeah totally it's really good that's a great episode i love it mm-hmm. um i guess i should have said as well that the show is actually truly funny and i do laugh out loud yeah. at least once per episode um 
the the comedy writing is actually really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. And it sounds like it's got a lot of depth, which I mm-hmm. appreciate in a comedy show. Like, there's obviously, like, your classic sitcom, which isn't going to go much deeper than interpersonal relationships. But it sounds like this is touching on a lot of really important topics. And it's exploring a lot of really great ideas. So I think that's hard to do as a comedy writer like it's easier to just like have it be about interpersonal things and yeah. oh ha ha but like i just think that to actually say something with your comedy is, is like gotta be so hard yeah i think you're completely right and the fact that it it landed so well is just a testament to how well they write certain oh and sabrina the host uh she writes for tv She's, like, written some episodes of, like, uh, Prodigal Son, I think is her, or Sons, is her most well-known TV show that she's worked on. But I think that's such a cool um, aspect to her way of thinking about ghost stories. And um, so she'll be like, well, what if it was, like, this whole story and um, so on and so forth. And, like, she kind of comes up with a, an episode of a TV show that could have all of those concepts and stuff and I think that it's so fun to hear how her creative mind works and uh the kind of ideas that she comes up with and also a lot of hers are like oh well that's kind of a scary thing but like what if it was a friendly ghost and they were just like oops I didn't mean to knock over that glass Mm -hmm. I accidentally did that and now this person's super scared and that's like such a good mentality for me to be like Oh, like something could seem scary, but really it's just like a curiosity thing or like, mm-hmm. uh, I just, I love the way her brain works. She's lovely. That's so cool. I'm really pleased with those overlaps. Good. And I think you already said this, but Ted Lasso is streaming on Apple TV Plus. Yes. And uh, Two Girls, One Ghost is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can check out their Facebook group. If you have questions about ghosts that you want to ask the community, uh, apparently they've been like really helpful for people. So I think that if you're interested in that at all, you should check that out. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.